I'm Dave Monaco, the Allen Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. I'm pleased to welcome you to another pop-up edition of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Amari Hayes and our other students here at Parish talking about the movement for social justice presently underway in our country. As I thought about a couple of other voices I wanted to hear from this summer before we start season four of the podcast in August, I had an epiphany of sorts. And only once before, having Scott Looney from the Hawkins School in Cleveland, had a head of school on the podcast, and I wanted to invite a couple of others on this month to talk about the particular challenges of leading a school in this time. So in the month of July, I've invited two heads whom I have admired from afar but do not know well to talk about leading school in this challenging time of two generational crises, the pandemic and the renewed fight against racism, oppression, and inequity. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Ann Klotz, head of Laurel School in Shaker Heights, Ohio, just outside of Cleveland. Ann is entering her 17th year as head of Laurel, an all-girls school serving about 700 young women from pre-K to 12th grade. Though much older than Parrish, Laurel and Parrish share sim- similarities. They're innovative, they have two campuses, and they're committed to inclusive identities. Anne is a graduate of Agnes Irwin School in Rosemont, Pennsylvania. She graduated from Yale, where she earned a BA in English. Her master's is in the Individual Study of Drama from the Gallatin Division of New York University. She has worked in girls' schools as a teacher of drama and English. She still teaches actively today and is an administrator for more than 30 years and is a devoted advocate for the social-emotional development of girls and also a tremendous mentor of independent school women leaders. Anne's experience as a head of school is deep, and I wanted to talk with her about leading a school community during these challenging times to learn how her community had thrived in the midst of it all, understand how they constructed programs of support for employees, students, and parents. Laurel's an amazing school with what Anne calls a culture of care firmly in place, and their community also possesses a deep commitment to their historical roots promoting social justice. And finally, I wanted to get Anne's perspective just simply as a leader. What sensations have flooded over her during this period of challenge? How has she tried to care for her team and for herself? I think you'll enjoy this conversation with head of school, Anne Klotz. Well, welcome to another summer pop-up edition of the From My Angle podcast. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Amari Hayes and some of our other students talking about the movement for social justice presently underway in our country. As I thought about a couple of other voices I wanted to hear from this summer before we start season four of the podcast in August, I had an epiphany of sorts. I had never had a colleague of a head of school, a head of school colleague on the podcast with me. So in this month of July, I've invited two women whom I've watched from afar and admired for their longstanding success in the industry as heads of school, but who I do not know particularly well, just to talk about leading school in this challenging time of essentially two generational crises, the pandemic and the renewed fight against racism, oppression, and inequity. So today, I'm pleased to welcome Ann Klotz, head of Laurel School in Shaker Heights, Ohio, just outside of Cleveland. She is entering, remarkably, her 17th year as head of Laurel, bless you, and for a tenure that long as I uh, limp into my 12th, an all-girls school serving 700 young women 
from PK to 12th grade. And though it's much older than Parrish, as I'm sure Anne will talk about with us a little bit, Laurel and Parrish share some similarities. We're both oriented to innovation. We both have two campuses. We're both in, very committed to our inclusive identities. So Anne, welcome. We are so glad to have you. Thanks, Dave. I'm thrilled to be with you. You're at uh, a, a time we're supposed to be taking a little breath and time for reflection and pause here in the summer. But as you and I have talked, this is uh, still a very, very busy time for us as we navigate the end of a difficult year and uh, walk through with our communities this challenging time for our countries. And really, this may be a summer that heads don't have that <laughs> cherished and long sought after vacation because I'm not sure COVID can wait for us to be refreshed before we make our reopening plans. I think you're exactly right. So you're a writer and a dramatic artist. You're a teacher. You're a school leader. How did you find your way to independent schools? So I'm independent school, born and raised, 13 years at the Agnes Irwin School, which is a very fine girls' school in Rosemont, Pennsylvania. My grandmother went there. My aunts mm. went there. My cousins went there. My sister went there. My mother did not go there. She went to Shipley, which in those days we called the Shipley School for Shapely Girls, but now it's <laughs> so we don't call it that anymore. Um, so, uh, so independent schools were familiar to me. Um, after my junior year in, high, in college, I taught um, one summer at Northview Mount Hermon in their very well-established summer program, mm -hmm. teaching theater. I loved it. I knew that I had to teach theater. But my uh, Yale couldn't certify me in theater, so public schools were out because I thought if I couldn't teach theater, I would surely die. So I went to NMH as a baby teacher at 21. I lived on a boys' hall. I think I was a clerical error. Um, and my boys were, you know, juniors, seniors, and PGs. And it was a great, it was a really great introduction to teaching because mm. a boarding school is 24-7, you're all in. No question. So that was it. And then Thank I you. ended up um, in New York for a long time and at the Chapin School. And then my great mentor said, I was a college advisor and I was sort of growing weary of um, feeling like the child felt less than when daddy said Williams was the only thing and she only got into Amherst, you know, so I felt a little detro to me. So my great mentor, Millie Berenson said, well, now it's time for you to be a head of school. So she had given me many opportunities that I only now look back and realize how carefully right. she had positioned me. Yeah. And so Laurel School came knocking and uh, 17, 16 years ago, uh, we moved to Shaker Heights and my son was born the 12th day of my headship. Oh my goodness. Joining his two big sisters who are oh, much older. Fantastic. So grown up there, he's grown up in an area. Yeah. So your headship really wasn't on your radar until, until Millie said, now it's time or you can right. do this. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and, and that's an interesting dynamic in our market where heads are still two thirds plus of of uh, of corporate executives or school leaders in the independent right. industry. So at that time, did it seem daunting to you to even consider it? Or were you My husband and I had run a, a very small not for profit, a summer program for 27. Well, at that point, it was about 20 summers up here in Eaglesmere, where I'm speaking to you from in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And we had a six week summer theater program for high school kids. So I said to the Laurel Board, look. I've hired and fired faculty. I've set a vision. I've raised money, albeit not the kind of money that I work to raise now. Um, but I had had, in a miniature way, many of the experiences that a head would have. So um, I think my my certainly my my trajectory to headship was unusual. But um, I, I'm so lucky that I found a school that mirrored my own values and that likes who I am, doesn't mind that I love to teach and make plays with little ones and. Um, and also, I'm a good storyteller, which yeah. is, of course, the real work of headship. 
It's your gift. So help us with understanding a little bit more about Laurel. If you uh, were to invite somebody from here in, in Dallas up to Shaker Heights, just outside Cleveland, and stepped onto one of your campuses there, and you had to give them a word, what would that be? So I'd say be? culture of care. Huh? Brave, and brave. I'd say um, very much guided by our mission and values. And our mission is small enough to fit on a tea bag to inspire each girl to fulfill her promise and to better the world. And every child in the school knows it from kindergarten up. Mm-hmm. And every faculty member knows it. And then our values are committed to building a just and inclusive world. Laurel girls are courageous, creative, ethical, and compassionate. Mm-hmm. And boy, have I been leaning on that value statement in the past month. Yes, and, and even beyond these last three months as we've right. all tried to tend to our, you know, tend to our communities. So tell us about the spring of Laurel. I mean, Ohio, uh, Governor DeWine was one of the uh, governors that was very early to move out to close and uh, seemed to manage things. And when did you move to distance learning? So we got word, um, our spring break began Friday the 13th. So we let our kiddos have an extra day of vacation. We let them out Thursday afternoon. And uh, the faculty were in on Friday as we realized we were going to pivot to this uh, framework of distance learning. We called it Mm -hmm. school at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think very many of us had a spring break because mm-hmm. we had that two weeks and most of us were working really hard on, on figuring out what this was going to be. I think we all thought, maybe you did too, oh, this will be a few days. And I don't think any of us had a sense of how long it was going to be. So mm-hmm. when school resumed on April 1st, we were ready with our school at home distance learning platform. Mm-hmm. We um, are a Google school, so we used Google Hangout to the despair of those people in the school who wanted Zoom. Um, You know, nothing is easy and nothing is simple. Uh, But I think it went really well. And I give all credit to my faculty and uh, my my amazing leadership group, um, you know, for we really worked, as I'm sure you did too, double overtime. Yeah, ditto. I would, and we were almost on that exact same cycle. I spoke to faculty um, March 13th. The kids were not here. It was the Friday before our spring break, which was just a week. I do remember suggesting to them that this could go on into May, but I had no idea really that it would. It was sort of like, it could. I was just trying to set realistic expectations. And then we had just one week, not two. So we had one week to pivot and then we were off and off and on our way. And it really kind of went in phases after spring break, didn't it? Right. It was sort of running on adrenaline. Oh, absolutely. It got into the long, like it got into the long March and then it was like, Oh, we're going to have to do this through May. Right. And then for us, the governor said, no one's going back. And it's a funny thing that day felt sort of though we were all anticipating it. It definitely felt a little bit like a sucker punch. I think we thought we were all going to see our kids again. Totally. It was about end of April. And I remember, you know, everybody had huffed and puffed and just thinking, we kept thinking, maybe we get to the 1st of May, things will start to open again, and we'll at least get them back on campus in some form or figure, some kind of configuration. And I do remember distinctly that this, um, really the sense of despair, despair, I think, emotionally, like, we're not going to be together again as a community. And I think the despair of, like, we've got to keep the energy up for six more weeks. Right. To get to the end of May with this model that we're still really constructing as, as we go, go. Yeah. I mean those hard those hardships aside, though, how how did you see your community thrive? Right. Well, I think again we're a culture of care. That's you know in our DNA. So um, 
One of the things that I think helped us, we had a lot of synchronous opportunities for our kids to be with teachers. And I said, you know, if your baby needs to be in class with you, that is absolutely fine because I'm very conscious of our of our young faculty who have children and, and families. Um, I think that uh, we probably did too much synchronous at the beginning and it was probably mm -hmm. wearying for everybody. That was a, a lesson learned. But I think it helped kids feel connected. Even we, are, we actually start with early learners who are 18 months when the year begins. So they were about you know, 22 or 23 months. They did not do a lot online. They would come and have circle time and that was about that. And you know, we couldn't help our parents of our youngest kids because we couldn't provide the childcare that many of them needed to be able to do, return to their jobs. But we did a lot of checking in with our little girls and even through middle school, one-on-one, -on -one, the teachers checking in with kiddos, um, sort of drop in office hours. And we also tried to maintain, as maybe you did too, the sort of sense of community. We have, um, we call it chapel, it is assembly. Um, the little guys had that, our primary school and our middle school. Our upper school didn't as much, but our girls who um, were seniors who still had to do a senior speech as a graduation requirement, they either did it at home and videoed it and we shared it with the whole upper school or sort of towards the end of May, I let them come in one by one and do their speech at you know, the podium in the assembly room that they would have given it in. We did a lot of checking in. I used all of my support staff who were, of course, not at school. Uh, we did a, you know, touch base with every family. Um, mm -hmm. We tried to do that a couple of times just to see how people were. We were um, very lucky. There were very few cases then uh, in our community, and now we are beginning to be aware of more cases in our sort of, what I think of as our community is not just Laurel, but we share a lot of families with University School, Hawkins School, Hathaway Brown School. And so once you have something in one community, you know, it begins to, to move. Yeah, and the age is moving back toward right. our demographic segment. That's We're right. seeing here in, 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 in Dallas for sure with the younger, the younger folks uh, carrying it, which raises some, uh, um, some and challenges as we look ahead to the start of the, the new school and, year and right. what to do about high school right Correct. yeah and so yeah i would i would say we, again we walked in in very synchronous um steps there with uh, a platform about our uh, learning from a distance and our belonging from a distance and you know and our fiscal identity really trying to make sure that we uh, cohered our community throughout the the, the crisis right. both um energy and uh and, and uh, uplifting uh, gifts of, of uh, delivered to teachers or to homes. And, uh, but we did a lot of chocolate and we did t-shirts and we did yard signs for our seniors. Yes. Those were the things that were really fun. But that yeah. was a whole new engine, right? That yeah. had to produce, just like on the academic side. So really, right. I, I would say, I say we, we, we thrived as it sounds like you did in living to our right. mission. And I think that's perhaps why independent schools, I think nationally ended up doing quite well through right. three months. Right. I think uh, hats off to our incredible marketing and website folks and our, our technology people who basically built a microsite, you know, in two weeks for what we call school at home. And then again, all the things to take care of seniors, to make them feel special, um, you know, and why didn't we have our yard signs up? And it was because they were at the printers, you know, all those things that comparisons are odious. Yep. Um, yeah, but, that's right. <laughs> but uh, and it really like if one school did something and the other didn't. Who, Correct. Yes. We actually I don't know whether you did this in Dallas, but we talked to each other. The Cleveland heads. We talked uh, twice a week uh, because there was so much going on and, and we're still maintaining content. You know, we're talking more about once a week now. But it was important that, you know, if Laurel was going to send something that Hawken and U.S. and Hathaway Brown had a sense of what we were going to say.
Yeah, which is great. I, I host, in fact, I host the I'm relative elder statesman here in the market now. And so I host 15 um, ISAS heads every Wednesday right. morning on a call. We started that first weekend. Uh, we did too. After spring break, and we just kept going. I think That's we're what we've done. A little break here the next couple of weeks, but then we're picking right back up That's in right. the middle of July. We're talking right. every Wednesday. Right. Has been has been fantastic. So we were just about to reach the uh, the, the the finish line uh, in May, and then uh, we saw what had actually been a succession of unjust uh, acts of racism and, and and racial hatred over the course of the latter part of the spring with Ahmaud Aubrey and, and, and etc. Culminate with the death of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis uh, Police Department officer Chauvin. And that happened um, for us um, just really the last week of school. Um, the students were not in session any longer when the protests began that Memorial Day weekend. Where did it fit into your academic calendar? The same. Our girls were finished. Um, yeah. They finished a couple of days before Memorial Day. Yeah. And then, um, uh, you know, it was about similar. But I think, um, I, I think we just pretended we were still in school. Yeah. So um, I um, spoke with the seniors on graduation morning, which was the 2nd of June. We talked about George Floyd. We talked about Black Lives Matter. We talked about violent death at the hands of police. Mm -hmm. um, and then we um, have been, we've been running affinity groups, a white anti-racist group for students and for faculty and staff, uh, a black group or people of color group for students, faculty and staff. And then we did two separate meetings with alums. First we did one for alums of color and then we did one, uh, one for uh, white anti-racist alums. And then we put alums together. We had a conversation maybe last week. Um, and then we did our first parent group um, as well mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we sort of wanted to take care of the girls first and the faculty and the staff and the young alums who were by and large the people on the call. Um, and the parent group, they said, can we keep doing this? So I think we will, you know, and I'm very conscious of trying not to exhaust my faculty and my DEI facilitators. Um, so I said, yes, let's just give it a few weeks. You know, let's not make this a, a once a week commitment. And our yes. Black Student Union, amazing kids who have graduated from the school this year, running panels and really educating the community. I'm, I couldn't be prouder of them. But yes, it's not, you know, roses and buttercups. Even as school is concluded, you've been able yeah. to continue that continue that programming just remotely, all remotely still at this mm -hmm. point because everybody's mm -hmm. not able to, to come together. Nope, everything is remote, and that's hard, as you know. But that's what we've done. Yeah. Um, I'm going to extend our seniors' email addresses so that they can have uh -huh. their email a little bit longer, um, as so many of them are so vitally involved in in really working on anti making the school anti racist by design. Yeah. Yeah. How, do, how does your community in, um, you know, Northeast Ohio, how would you describe the, the sentiment around independent schools, Laurel in particular, around the work and, and your parents coming to the work? How have you, how have you experienced that or, or your students for that relative to fragility? Right. Right. Um, I think uh, independent schools have a long foothold in Northeastern Ohio. Mm -hmm. uh, almost all of us are, will be 125 next year. I, Hawkins was just 100. I think Hathaway Brown is 127 or something. So, you know, I, I, it's not unusual for kids to go to an independent school, although the local school systems are also very strong. Um, so they're in some ways more of our competitors than one another. Mm -hmm. um, I would say this. I would say that, um, you know, when you've been ahead as long as I have, mm -hmm. you have to choose the moment. Uh, 
-hmm. where you can't go backwards and you can't waffle. Mm -hmm. And I am lucky to have board that supports me Mm -hmm. in my sense that we have to say what we see and we have to be who our values and mission tell us to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to be grim and say you have to know the hill you're going to die on, but in some ways I do feel that. Mm -hmm. So to me, the most important thing is that families that choose Laurel know what they're getting. Mm-hmm. And that we have a deep commitment long before I showed up to social justice and a deep commitment to inclusion. And now uh, a deepening commitment, I think, to understanding more about the ways in which systems have system, systemic oppression has happened probably, of course, also in our school. Mm-hmm. And to take responsibility for that. And you and I know as heads, you take responsibility for stuff you may have not ever had anything to do with um, because you're sort of the Statue of Liberty. You know, you're the symbol right. of the yeah. school. Yeah. But I know that we have not always served our black and brown girls or our black and brown faculty the ways in which I wish we had. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I feel like this is the moment. And maybe some of that was I had appendicitis in the middle of this. And so you lie in a hospital bed for a couple of days and you yeah. sort of reckon with, uh, okay, what can we do better? We can't go yeah. back. We can't fix it. But can I mean- we take this moment to move forward? I've used the metaphor because, you know, our middle and upper school, um, our, you know, we just graduated our 14th class. I got here 11 years ago. We'd only graduated three classes. Right. And essentially kicked off our diversity inclusion work in 2013. So we're, you know, newer at it. And in an, in an area of the country demographically where, um, you know, there's, there's going to be um, questions about its intent. And so we've tried to move uh, as a jockey would pacing, pacing the horse appropriately around the track. And I feel like I've been the jockey on the horse, despite my own commitment to it. Uh, longstanding as a, you know, 20 something uh, founding director of, some, of a summer bridge program and, right. and committed to this notion of, of equity and educational experience, the boards I serve on here, even presently in Dallas, but I still was reining the horse back and reining the horse back. And metaphorically, you know, our, our board also having done some very important work in the last 18 months around this. Now I see the, horses in front of me have parted mm-hmm. and there's that there's that gap to the finish line you know there's that chance to really um spur the spur the horse and make a movement here and so i i completely concur with your notion of head seizing the moment i think especially to seasons seasoned heads who've been in communities for a while as you and i have um you know at this point you know, right, we have capital and the capital is usable. And if it's not, then you won't be there to use it anymore, right? It's That's sort of, you're right. to get right. to that point. You're like, well, okay. Uh, but maybe. I also, you know, as a as an Episcopalian woman, I would say to you that I also feel like, you know, our, our tenets of faith call us to ha- right. have to um, really take a hard look at what we're doing. And um, right. my husband is Jewish. My girls are Jewish. My son is undecided. Um, but I think a lot about, you know, in, in my own heart about what am I doing? You know, how am I benefiting from my whiteness, of course, all day long? Mm-hmm. Um, and what am I doing in the school to be to, to be more aware of the ways in which we may be privileging whiteness? And will I have families that don't like it? A hundred percent. And will they leave the school? They already have, because uh, I think I am perceived in Cleveland as, you know, certainly a feminist and my New York roots didn't really help, you know, because bleeding heart, New York liberals. Uh, But I hope that most of the families that are there, as you say, you know, I have a long, I have a long track record. And I, as Popeye would say, I am who I am. And I'm going to leave the school with the very best, um, the best way I know how. And that means unlearning and continuing to learn. Um, we're not finished. And DEI work, as you and I know, it's, you know, when a faculty member says, oh, we already did that. Uh, yeah, 
we actually need to keep doing it. And I forget, maybe you do too. Oh, we had Rosetta Lee at the school. She was amazing. And it was four years ago. And so, you know, there's such a changeover so fast. Yeah. I don't even think that my true education and Dean, I really began to like co-chaired the task force uh, that we had here two and a half years ago. Like I feel right. like that's when I really started to learn. I was committed to it, but I didn't really understand elements of right. uh, privilege and, and, and the elements of, of systemic, of kind of systemic inequity. Right. That I think I have a, a clearer, a clearer picture for now, but boiling back up then I guess in this last part of the conversation, like just to talk about like leadership in, in a general context, like you have been nearly two decades as a head of school have you ever experienced a more difficult period of no. time? Than what no, and as I said to you before we started the podcast, be careful not to say, oh, how could it get worse? Because I'm afraid now, you know, we're going to have frogs and uh, murrain and it's, uh, the plagues are going to descend. Um, I, I think in terms of balancing, as you said at the very beginning, two really important, or I don't know whether they're important, but two significant moments in our culture. And of course, not unrelated to me, part of the mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter resurgence mm-hmm. um, is how heavily hit the African-American, I'm sorry, the black and brown community has been mm-hmm. with COVID, the economic instability. You know, it feels to me like it's a perfect storm. Yeah, and yeah. if we emerge from this at, with better schools and better policies and practices, uh, then it will not have felt like such a, just a big whammy to all of our schools. Mm-hmm. To me, and maybe to you too, not to be able to be physically together. I, I don't, I think I always took for granted that of course schools come together. Yeah. And I find myself missing the girls. You know, I had a dream that I went to hug a fourth grader and that like the dementors came from Harry Potter and snatched me up because I had forgotten, you know, that we're not supposed to hug. Yeah, my dreams have been beyond vivid, and I've shared them with the leadership team here on occasion, just how much they've trailed me the last um, three months. And I've also referred to it metaphorically as a bit of a uh, of an unending, uh, or at least undying treadmill. Like, there's no oh. sense of when this ends. No, I so, wrote that in my notes to prepare for right. this conversation. If you could say to me, look, Ann, you're going to have to do this for one more year, and then everybody's going to be vaccinated, and it's going to be fine. That, I feel like I could steer to. This, as you say, no end in sight. So how can we continue to refresh and restore our faculty who are so tired and our leadership teams who are so tired and ourselves? Um, and that's, uh, I think that's what I said the other day in a leadership team meeting is, look, we, none of us may be able to take two weeks off. Take an afternoon off. Sleep late one morning. Go for a run. Mm-hmm. Do what you need to do um, in whatever way you can to restore yourself. Yes, yeah. that's, absolutely, that's absolutely the case. And I think that this idea of it, like if somebody's asked, what has it been like? The one word I've used is just relentless, like relentless yeah. sense of uncertainty, relentless mm-hmm. sense of decision-making uh, that have just, um, you, you know, been uh, really non, nonstop. And I am tired and I worry about the fatigue. I, I, I'm as much worried about um, the fatigue of my team Right. I am my own fatigue and my inability to sort of um, offer that sustenance to them. Like, so those right. become I think, very, um, very challenging uh, leadership points of the moment. How, besides those little elements that you offer, those half day offs and things of that nature, you're doing that for them. How are you um, when you're not recovering from an appendectomy? <laughs> like, how do you try to care for your for yourself? So one piece was a change of scenery. You know, I came last night from Cleveland out to our home in Pennsylvania where we've spent summers forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think, you know, look, I live on the school campus and I love that. 
but I think being able to just mm. have a different view is a good thing. It doesn't mean the work stops and everybody knows they can reach me except when the internet fails. Um, and um, again, being with my children, um, I was doing a lot of yoga before the appendectomy, but that's off the table for a little while, yep. walking, writing. Yeah, that's a, I stay very committed to my my self care on uh, exercise, and I'm about to go upstate New York. Um, I go oh. next, next week. Uh, Are you going to the Adirondacks? My, yeah, my family's uh, summered there for some sixty years, and and even though I will do a lot more work there than normal, um, right? That's great. I am of the same mind, though I have to quarantine for fourteen days when I get there, which is essentially right. what I do anyway. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's what I feel about Eagles Mirror. It's not like I'm visiting with the masses, no, and yeah, so I stay really. on my porch and. Where does Laurel stand at the moment looking forward to your fall? Like, are you, well, are you able to anticipate with any clarity where you might be at this if, point? Sheridan? I wish if you, if you could, I wish you would tell us immediately. We are planning for every scenario. We're going to send a letter today and um, we're planning for in-person, uh, which we think we can do really well from early learners up through eighth grade. Mm -hmm. um, we think we have the space to be able to distance them and take all the safety precautions. Three of our grades um, will be out at the Butler campus, which is our incredible 150 acres. It has sporting, it has fields and the Butler Center for Fitness and Wellness. It has a house that'll serve as a home base for one of our grade levels. And then we're building some more yurts. We have one yurt and it's been very successful with our little ones. So we're gonna build a few more uh, and that'll be warm, safe, space in the middle of winter um and then with our upper school girls we are you know measuring rooms and thinking about hybrid and what's best online and what why do you really need to come to school what has to happen at school and we have a wonderful new upper school director working really closely with the former upper school director who is now the director of teaching and learning and i have great faith but i also think it's going to be different mm -hmm. and different is sometimes hard for families you know yeah. that that they want the kids to come to school every day and i'm just not sure we can do it safely with our upper school yeah so we're we're we are a uh, large 400,000 square foot one roof facility for our right. third grade right. so you know we are hoping to get our pre-k through fourth on our two campuses because our right. third grade are here and our pre-k twos are at the other campus we're hoping to have them here every day and right now because of this this huge one basically one one big room schoolhouse if you will you right. Know, we're we're going to go one week on, one week off with our middle and upper school just to keep right. our um, our density down for the first six weeks or so of school while we see. And then see. Right. To see. Yeah. So we can pivot and um, and just, you know, of course, at, uh, if the if the surge here continues unabated for another 30 days, then we could be back in some form of a learning from a distance or we could send both the middle and the upper school home and keep just right. the fours on campus, you know. So I think uh, we too are, as your, as your talented team is, our talented team here is thinking through a multiplicity of, uh, of options to see, to see where it brings us. But your point around um, difference, I think, is, is, uh, is, is, is very, is very um, timely and prescient because I think uh, people are just anticipating in some cases that they're going to walk back and it's going to feel the same. It's going to feel, even if we're all back, different in ways that are uncomfortable um, for our for our constituents, teachers and students alike. Right. It's going to feel a bit uh, a bit awkward. And I worry too about the anxiety of our faculty about coming back. Yes. I, know I know they're anxious and um, we're doing the best that we can to uh, to abate it. But at the same time, attest to the fact that, you know, we have families that are counting on us to, to be right. here too. And so it's a very fine line and a difficult one to walk. I'm sure you're sensing the same. 
Oh, and I'm thinking about my faculty who have young children and if they're, if they're not at Laurel and if their places don't open. And I'm thinking about faculty who may have underlying health issues that are private and that there's no reason for the school to have to know, but they may have to share those with us or they're caring for a compromised relative. These are huge questions. Um, and, and I think we're at the beginning. We're not anywhere near through them all. Um, so you, you are an active uh, cultivator of young leaders. I know we certainly espouse here at school to do that with our employees. I'm talking about mm -hmm. here, you're, you're act actively, um, as you were mentored, act actively seeking to mentor. You know, in closing, I guess, if you were thinking about this leadership conversation in the midst of two generational crises of, of significance, one unprecedented with the pandemic, um, are there lessons here for future leaders that um, should go into their training kit? Yes, there are two. What is that? The work will always be there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So you gotta, you gotta shut down. You gotta shut down your brain and your, apply, your devices and, and mm -hmm. take a walk and take a rest because mm -hmm. sometimes you come back to it with, uh, with more clarity. And the second is you will never be bored as a head of school. Not even one minute of one day. So there have been times this spring where I thought, you know, I'd be fine if we were just bored. Um, so do I, you know, I've talked to several um, younger head friends who I think are, are really um, overwhelmed. And I think part of my obligation is to make sure I'm supporting mm -hmm. heads who have, you know, fewer years of, of just managing weirdness. And I'm glad I'm an experienced head in a community I know well. Mm -hmm. uh, though I wouldn't tell you that was any preparation for what we've gone through since March. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been essentially um, having to build completely new schema and understand right. how to run, run meetings, how to, right. how to set goals, how to uh, really evaluate um, almost every aspect of your program. And, and that gives you a headache every time you got to do it in like a healthy way. Like it's a stretch way. It's a stretch. Right. That's right. Uh, and also remember some of the kids who emerged in distance learning, who never were superstars when we sat in actual classroom. And they, I take a lot of heart from those kiddos and some of our faculty who really have been incredibly creative and remarkable in rising to, again, a stretch, a brain stretch for all of us. And yeah. so if there's a moment, you know, here's the great thing. Education is about leading out of darkness, right? Mm -hmm. So we got a lot of opportunity in the next six months to continue that work, however it looks. And I hate that we're building models that we may never use because no. our governor too might say, ha ha, you know, you're going back to just school at home, see ya. And if that's the way it happens, that's the way it happens. I think it is harder for our families, no matter how much they love us, to see the value, mm -hmm. uh, the financial value of, uh, you know, a pro prolonged distance learning experience. And, you know, if I were footing the bill for several kids in an independent school and they just said, okay, here's distance learning. It's hard for me to reconcile too. I get it. Cause part of what you want in an independent school is connection and, sure. and fun stuff like the play and field yeah. hockey and yeah. the newspaper. And the we're going to do our best to do all those things. The, the, the entire market resets. Right. right? So your, your options outside of a quality experience at Laurel, albeit a, a one that is, that is constrained in its right. vividness. Um, I would suggest still is going to offer a family in terms of your commitment to care and the other elements that right. you're bringing to your distance model um, value that is measurable um, and, and and significant beyond what they would get in other in other marketplaces. That's well, how that I is the hope. 
Yeah, I, that, <laughs> yeah. I, I believe that. Like, I, I'm not just spouting that out. As, no, as I a, think that's what we're, we're hanging our hat on as well. I, th- I, think it, I think it's I think it's the case. So I wish you um, a speedy recovery from appendectomy. Thank you. I wish you rest in your Pennsylvania uh, home there for however long you can you can get it at whatever increments. And I wish you and your community all the best as you navigate these challenges. Thanks for being an inspiration to so many heads across the country. Oh, Dave, thank you for having me. What fun. And someday I'm going to come and see your school when we're allowed to travel again. Yes, we would uh, We would love that. And there are plenty of other terrific schools here in Dallas for you to make good time of it uh, when you're down here. So we would uh, be happy to host you. Thanks so much, Ann Claus. Glad to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. I do hope to have one other head of school colleague on with me later this month in July for a final pop-up podcast before we begin season four in August. In the meantime, enjoy your summer and be well. And thank you for joining me on the From My Angle podcast.